You're listening to Living Healthy Longer by the Columbine Health System Center for Healthy Aging. of lots of stories um, associated with the, the twin study. I mean, one of the amazing things about the twin study was that it enjoyed a lot of global media attention um, around the world, and it really seemed to have captured people's attention. So that, that certainly has been a lot of fun. But it also received some fake news which was kind of interesting. Um, I remember sitting very calmly watching the morning news and seeing a story come up that Scott Kelly had returned from space as a space mutant. And I just about fell out of my chair. (laughs) You know, what is this about? And it was, well, I guess he had tweeted out too that um, he he wasn't even a twin anymore, that 7% of his DNA had been mutated which of course was just completely not right. Um, if if 7% of his DNA had been mutated, he wouldn't even be a human. <laughs> so, you know, it wasn't that at all. Um, it was more a matter of gene expression. So the report was is that 7% of his gene expression really didn't return to baseline at, at the nine-month mark after the, the twin studies. So just a matter of genes being turned on and off and not that his DNA was um, mutated. So it, 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 that's a lot different than being a space mutant. <laughs> you know, and in fact, it really wasn't a whole lot different than some of the things they see with um, people dealing with other extreme environments on Earth, people like that are climbing Mount Everest, for example, a very similar kind of reaction um, as that was. So that, that was a, a pretty interesting uh, story. And I mean, it, it made all, all the newspapers. <laughs> That is Dr. Susan Bailey, a professor and radiation cancer biologist here at CSU. Dr. Bailey was trained classically as a radiation cytogeneticist, where she studied chromosomes and the ways that radiation exposure impacts and changes them. She has received several grants from NASA throughout her career to apply her expertise to astronauts, who face extreme amounts of radiation in spaceflight, which can alter their genomes. Today, Dr. Bailey's latest project is one of 10 investigations across the country selected by NASA for the TWIN study, an investigation that looks at identical twin astronauts Scott and Mark Kelly as one brother remained on Earth while the other orbited above in the International Space Station for one year. Findings from the twin study uncover clues about human health in space and are important for a future in which human space exploration to the moon and Mars is a possibility. In this episode, we talk to Dr. Bailey about what her study reveals about aging in space. We discuss an element of our chromosomes known as telomeres, which on Earth are known to shorten with age. So what happens to telomeres when humans are in space? And what can we take from that knowledge to affect aging here on Earth? I really enjoyed this conversation, and I hope that you do too. I'm your host, Hannah Hallisker, and this is Living Healthy Longer, a podcast from the Columbine Health System Center for Healthy Aging at Colorado State University.
then first off, I will just thank you for being on the this podcast and being on this episode. I am so looking forward to talking to you about this. I have been so excited since I first emailed you to talk to you about this. <laughs> thank you. I'm looking forward to it as well. So, so great baseline question just to get us started. Can you just tell us what the NASA twin study is generally and what was your role in the study? Yes. So the the twin study um, and how it came about is really a pretty interesting tale as well, because it really started quite by accident, fortuitously. There was no real plan to it. At one of the very first press conferences after Scott Kelly was selected for NASA's first one-year mission, he and Mark Kelly were sitting there at the press conference, and Scott just asked, the question, is NASA doing anything about the fact that I have an identical twin brother, Mark Kelly, who was also an astronaut and a former Navy test pilot? And of course, the answer at the time was no, um, but NASA very quickly recognized a, a really unique um, opportunity and a lot of research opportunities. And that's really how the twin study was conceived. So twin sons of very similar nature and nurture, one spending a year in space and one spending that year um, firmly grounded on Earth. Um, and really the most um, comprehensive study of the response of the human body to spaceflight ever conducted was, was launched at that point. Um, and there's no doubt that they're, they're definitely the most profiled pair on or off the planet at this point. <laughs> Every every kind of omics and study that a biological study um, that you can think of was was done. Wow, wow! And so, how did you come to be selected as one of the researchers on this study? I know that you there were more than eighty scientists on this study across twelve institutions. So, yeah. how did you get in the hat? Yeah, so it was really not long after you know that that press conference that NASA then put out a call for research proposals and I submitted one um, and was it was peer-reviewed and and then they selected the 10 major um, investigations from around the country and and ours happened to be uh, one of them uh, thankfully and it was really um, what was kind of important about ours is that we had just begun another study a separate study with 10 different astronauts, unrelated astronauts, and doing very similar studies. So we were looking at telomere length and telomerase activity and genome stability and all those things. So we had something to compare it to. So that really gave us an advantage um, over any of the other studies, really, that we had other um, astronauts that we could also compare it to. So we could look at Scott and Mark Kelly and identify space flight specific factors that influenced um, our endpoints, but we could also then compare unrelated astronauts and identify um, individual susceptibilities or differences in individual responses. Um, so that that was really a powerful part of, of our studies, and I think it had a lot to do with, with why we were initially selected for the twin study. Mm-hmm. You mentioned genome stability and telomeres, and so that that is your your main claim to fame with the twin study. So tell us, what are telomeres, and, yeah. and what did you hypothesize what happened to Scott and Mark Kelly's telomeres? Yeah, so there there's a lot to address right there, but that's right. So our project really addressed the question of aging, 
and mm -hmm. aging associated with long duration space flight, this being the first NASA one year mission. And, you know, it's funny, one of the questions that was often asked of Scott at many of the interviews that, that occurred before he went up was whether or not he'd return younger than his brother Mark. Because, you know, of like they somebody had watched Interstellar or they were thinking about the, the twins Paris paradox and um, you know, that experiment in special relativity. But, you know, since Scott Kelly really wasn't traveling at the speed of light, he was only going seventeen thousand miles per hour. <laughs> and and he wasn't traveling away from us. You know, they were orbiting the earth at about about two hundred and fifty miles above the earth. People who have done those calculations say that it's really only a few milliseconds that there'd be any time difference. So it wouldn't really be that. But even so, the question of aging associated with spaceflight is still a very important one. And that's because things like um, even the diseases that go along with aging, like cardiovascular disease or dementias, you know, if those things would develop during a long duration spaceflight, they would certainly... Um, compromise of crew members' health, but also perhaps the mission. And then if we're thinking about long-term, you know, kind of impacts on health span, for example, certainly could negatively impact um, that, you know, after their return as well. So that's kind of where, where we came into it, thinking, you know, of addressing this whole question of aging. Um, and really, we were the first study to ever evaluate a biological marker of aging. And that's where telomeres come into the study, because telomeres are just the, the ends of our chromosomes that shorten with cell division. And so with aging, they get shorter as we get older. Um, the important thing about telomeres, too, is that they protect the ends of our chromosomes from degradation. They prevent them from being detected as broken DNA, uh, triggering damage responses. So they do, they're very, they're very important for maintaining genome stability. Um, the reason, as I mentioned, that they're important for aging is just that they, they shorten with cell division, but they also shorten with things like inflammation. Um, oxidative stress. They've been shown to shorten with um, a variety of lifestyle factors as well. Things like diet and smoking and obesity, um, physical activities, psychological stress, chronic stress, diseases, and even most recently COVID-19 has been associated with shortened telomeres. So all of these things really contribute to the rate at which our telomeres shorten as we get older. So they're um, the other thing that they're often considered is almost like a sentinel of environmental exposure. So things like air pollution and UV radiation and, and ionizing radiations, which again is, you know, one of the things that we're really interested in and study, um, also influences telomere lengths. So there's just a lot happening and a lot going on that influence the rate at which our telomeres shorten because they kind of integrate all those effects. Um, so the genetic influences, the environmental influences, and the lifestyle influences all determine how quickly our telomeres shorten. And that's why they're such informative biomarkers. It really reflects or gives an idea of uh, general health, but also how quickly or how well somebody might be aging. Um, for the twin study, of course, we thought, well, my goodness, all of these 
really um, unique challenges and stresses that they're under, psychological stresses of confinement and isolation, being away from family, being away from the earth, um, uh, nutritional challenges. I mean, they have a very defined diet. Scott Kelly lost about 15 pounds while he was on on station. Uh, just, you know, things that we, microgravity, you know, things that we just don't normally um, encounter. Space radiation, which is very different than what we normally experience on Earth, that surely all of these things would combine to accelerate telomere shortening during space flight. And so, you know, we, we went in hypothesizing that we would certainly see shortened telomeres um, during space flight. And as we all already mentioned, we did also look at um, genome stability. And, and I can go into that a little bit more. But I think first, let's we'll go ahead and talk about the, um, the telomere results, because, you know, those those really were the most surprising, I think, of all. And when we first looked at Scott and Mark Kelly, they very consistent with a, a strong genetic component. They had very similar telomere lengths when they started before they, they went off. So I should also say that our study design was really quite straightforward. We got blood samples um, before, during, and after space flight. So we had, we could establish a baseline before they go, go up. During space flight, we get a couple of samples, and then after space flight, we got samples so we could see what the long-term um, consequences might be. So, like I said, Scott and Mark had very similar telomere lengths before space flight, but during space flight is, is where we really found the surprise, and that was that in every sample that we had, and we had, um, again, we were able to kind of combine resources between the, the twin studies. So we had, I think, 11 sep separate um, samples, blood samples, um, throughout the one-year mission, as well as urine samples um, in all of the samples that we looked at. By all of the ways that we looked, we looked by um, PCR, we used fluorescence-based assays, and even some sequencing all showed longer telomeres during spaceflight. So exactly the opposite of, of what we imagined or hypothesized. Um, the other surprising thing to us was is that um, telomere length shortened very, very rapidly when they came back. And that was true of Scott, but it was also true of the other astronauts that, that we examined or evaluated that really within, for Scott, within 48 hours, uh, we had a sample and telomere length was dramatically shortened. So really, really shortened quickly. And then over the next few months, kind of stabilized to near to where he started. Um, but again, because we were doing cell by cell analyses, we could actually determine that he had overall, he had many more short telomeres after space flight than he did before. And that was a finding that was true pretty much across all of the astronauts um, that, that we looked at. So um, starting to become pretty convinced <laughs> that it's a, a real thing. Um, there was some variation in individual response. Not everybody responded quite as dramatically, but overall the trends were all very similar. Um, and of course, we also, I should mention, we for the um, 10 other unrelated astronauts, we also had a control cohort. So we also had a fairly substantial 
cohort that we could just, you know, that stayed on earth. Again, they were age and sex matched controls. So we had something to compare them to as well, which is also really important. But that that's how the telomere <laughs> studies went. And, um, you know, that just like I say, just really, really a surprise and still trying to figure out exactly what it all means and why it's happening. So it's the exact opposite of what you hypothesized. Do you, and, and you just said you're, you're still working through all of it, but do you have any <laughs> initial ideas of, of why that happened? Yeah, we do. And I think, again, that's a place where having additional astronauts was really very helpful, um, that we know that we're seeing the this telomere elongation during spaceflight. We're seeing it in more than just Mark Kelly. And we're seeing it on various duration missions. So, you know, that that helps a lot right there. Um, but we also do have some other clues as well. Um, we we know, for example, that it's it's certainly not a fountain of youth. People think, oh, well, maybe, you know, that's that's great, you know, longer telomeres. But, you know, it, it, I think really and truly the more significant thing as when you start to think about health span or when they come back, <laughs> you know, unless you're going to stay up there, which I, you know, that that's got its own set of problems. But, you know, when they come back, they really do have more short telomeres than they started with. And, and I think that's where the risk, you know, that's really where the health risk comes in because we know that they came back with more short telomeres than they started with. They have more short telomeres than the controls. So we know that that is a risk factor. Um, things like not only just aging itself, but things like dementias and cardiovascular disease and even cancer are, are associated with altered telomere length, both short and long. Um, you know, it, it, it depends, but primarily the short telomeres are, do increase their risk of, of developing some of these age-related disease. So that, that I think is really where um, you know, the, the, the more of the concern is, that's for sure. Uh, we do think that it's related to um, this exposure, chronic exposure to the space radiation environment. Um, there's a lot of different types of DNA damage that um, ionizing radiation induces. And the space environment has a lot more damaging types of radiation than we experience here on Earth. So, and the other thing that, you know, when we try to do some of these experiments on Earth and try to replicate some of the space environment, including radiation, it's, it's very difficult because it's, it, you can't do these chronic kinds of exposures. And so we don't know a lot about the chronic nature of every day, you know, for a year or months or on a trip to Mars, three years, you know, what that really does. But we do know that it increased oxidative stress, for example, is, is one thing that, that has been associated with that. We, that's pretty clear. And we did see evidence of um, damage to telomeres that was indicative of oxidative stress to telomeres. So that's, that's one thought that I think it, it is something to do with that. And they can, that can trigger some of these telomere maintenance pathways that could potentially um, even elongate telomeres, make some of them anyway much longer than others. Um, the other place that that comes in, of course, then is other types of DNA damage, particularly double strand breaks, so actually breaking the DNA. And that's where 
these chromosome rearrangements come in. And so, you know, looking at stability of the genome, how, how, what do the chromosomes look like? You know, are they being damaged? Are they being rearranged? And certainly we saw evidence of that. Um, there were um, increased frequencies of inversions particularly. So these are um, rearrangements that occur within a chromosome. So just, you know, a piece pops out and turns around and sticks back in. So, and they persisted. So they don't kill the cells, but they persist and they can contribute to instability in the long term. So again, this would be another thing that would be of concern for long-term health. The health span could increase risk of particularly things like cancer because we know that um, chromosome aberrations are associated with, with cancer. So that's a very long answer, but it, 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 it kind of hits what the the place where our studies really fit into all of this um, and I think why too that we're really leaning toward the space radiation environment as being some of the, one of the the major contributing factors it's it's really hard to that one of the good things about telomeres is that it integrates all that stuff one of the bad things is, is that it's very difficult to isolate any one of those particular um, contributors. So things like microgravity, for example, you know, they, they do have gadgets that you can stick cells in and, you know, simulate a microgravity environment. But that's very different from having microgravity and radiation and all these other things all at the same time. So it, it is tough to get down to definitive mechanisms, but um, we, we're working on it. Um, I would say, too, that if people are interested, certainly there are, we have a number of publications out, and not just from our lab, but from the other twin studies as well, um, that they could follow up on that. Right. And you touched on it. I was just going to ask you, how do you even isolate all those different exposures to figure out how, why the elongation was occurring? Yeah. And you just said it's so difficult. (laughs) It is. It really is. And even just, and, and that's true of all the studies really, because it, 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 there's just almost no other way to replicate that space environment on earth. You know, the, the radiations are different, microgravity, this, this whole thing with isolation and, and confinement. I mean, those are the major concerns, but it's like, well, maybe you could do it for a little while on earth, but you can't do them all at the same time. So it's, that's what really makes the International Space Station, the ISS, such a valuable resource. Uh, and they have, they actually have on board now on station um, a U.S. national laboratory. It's designated as a, a national laboratory. So um, they do promote a lot of science um, and do a lot of science up there. That's a lot of what the astronauts do while they're there is a whole variety of different kinds of experiments, um, not just with technology, but but with biology and, you know, trying to grow things, you know, plants, the first salad and, you know, kind of like the Martian <laughs> trying to yep. grow potatoes, but, you know, things that they're going to have to be able to do um, as they, they go further and further uh, away from the earth. And, you know, thinking even of space radiation and kind of back to that theme, you know, even on the space station, they have some protection from the magnetosphere from that surrounds the earth. 
uh, as they go beyond that, like the only time people have been beyond that is on the Apollo missions when they went to the moon the first time. Um, that is really the only time. And so they, once you're outside of that, the exposures they get are much higher. And, and like I mentioned before, you know, much more damaging types of radiation that they'll be exposed to. And it won't be just for seven or eight days. It'll be for a, re a mission to and from Mars will be more like three years. So these things are, you know, that really a concern. And certainly we see biological health effects um, even on the space station. Mm -hmm. What does your study tell us about aging here on Earth? <laughs> yeah, so that's that's an interesting question too. So, you know, it's it tells us a couple of things, I guess. If I had to like try to think about what is it that you know to take away from this as far as aging goes, um, I think certainly the that our everyday choices really do make a, a difference. You know, that the things that we associate with a healthy lifestyle, like diet and exercise and limiting stress and and environmental exposures, being careful with that, you know, air pollution, those types of things, not getting a lot of, um, you know, unnecessary diagnostic x-rays, <laughs> you know, those kinds of things really do make a difference when we think about aging in the long term and disease risk. Um, so it's really important to, to take care of your telomeres <laughs> um, when we think about it, uh, living, you know, longer, healthier lives, um, improving health span. Um, and the more we know about that process, really, whether it's on earth or in space, the more um, we might be able to do something about it. You know, how can we maintain telomere length better um, to maintain health span? I think that that certainly is one lesson that, that comes right out. But I think even perhaps more important than that um, is to think about it in the sense of to, that, to find your passion. You know, whatever it is, you know, be your best at it and throw all you've got at it. Because, I mean, think about these astronauts. They, they have spent a lifetime training to be there. And when you see them up there, they look pretty happy, don't they? They're, I mean, they are living the dream. You know, they are realizing a, a life dream. And I think that too is, I've often wondered if maybe it's something just to do with that, you know. Um, but I think that really is important too. It's, it's given them... Um, something to shoot for, you know, shoot for the stars and, um, and they're realizing that. So I, I really think that's an important thing. And I'll, I'll go ahead and just mention too, that it, I think, you know, that it's really an exciting time to be involved, um, in the space program or for space exploration in general. You know, we've seen just some amazing things just this week, you know, they, that, that they were flying a helicopter on Mars. I mean, is that awesome or what? It's just like unbelievable. Um, and on Friday, there's going to be another um, NASA SpaceX launch to the uh, International Space Station. So lots of lots of exciting things that are really pushing the boundaries. And 
you know, really um, developing the kinds of, of technologies that we're going to need, but also, you know, on the health side to be thinking about the people, <laughs> you know, that are involved. So it's going to take all of us. It takes everybody, you know, on all sides, the technology, the biology part. It just takes everybody doing their part to really make those things come true so or to make them happen so just encourage people to really dream big dreams <laughs> and reach for the stars because it, it's amazing the things that are 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 happening right before our eyes yes I'm always so fascinated by space travel and oh. just keeping up with it it's so revolutionary it is it's it's just amazing and just the whole idea of space exploration and the things that might be happening over the next few years. Um, I'll just mention too, I, one of the twins investigators, Chris Mason, just has a uh, book coming out next week, 500 years, um, kind of this perspective of, of looking into the future and what are the kinds of things that we're going to need to do um, to be able to really be out there and you know, colonizing other planets. So it's it's a wild ride, but I I, I know it's going to be a good read. But it it, it does kind of uh, give you a lot to think about. That's for sure. Mm -hmm. I have a a bit of maybe a trivial question. I'm I'm really curious. You said you collected blood samples before, during, and after the mission. Uh, yes. How did you get the ones during the mission? <laughs> yes. That's, I said it was pretty simple in design, but it is not was not simple in in actually getting those samples. And you're exactly right; those were were very challenging, um, and we weren't able to get them for all all of the crew members because of that. But what they would do is that they would um, take a, do a blood draw on station right before a crew was getting ready to come back to Earth. And sometimes, you know, some of the crew members could actually do their own blood draws, but often they they couldn't. So somebody else, you know, would, would draw the blood for them. And then they would put the, strap the tubes, they wrap them up and strap the tubes to the inside of the Soyuz vehicle with the crew that was coming back to Earth. Um, because we had to have them um, under ambient or room temperature conditions. It couldn't get it couldn't get too cold or too hot, or we wouldn't be able to do the assays we needed to do once it got back to the lab. So our samples would be traveling back, you know, on the Soyuz back to Earth and to Kazakhstan. And then they would go with the NASA astronauts, make their way back to Johnson Space Center. And they'd be there in the lab within about 48 hours of draw on station, which is pretty incredible. I mean, that's amazing. Um, and we were successful in getting everything to work except for telomerase activity. So telomerase activity is the enzyme that helps to maintain telomere length. It's very low um, in blood cells anyway, so it, it, it's kind of difficult to start with. But um, it's also very sensitive to like heat and think about that capsule coming back through the atmosphere and all the, the movies, you know, I mean, they're on fire. Like, and we asked the astronauts, well, do you, does it, does it get hot in there? And, and they, but they're all, you know, their spacesuits keep them, you know, insulated. So they, no, it didn't seem too bad, <laughs> but um, I, I don't know. It could have gotten too hot, too cold. It could have um, just taken too long because we also know that it doesn't, you know, it will degrade with time. So even within 48 hours was probably too long. 
So we're thinking about that going forward to um, for our next studies with the one year mission project. How can we um, how can we try to get at what's going on with telomerase activity during space travel during space flight? Because that it's really an important question. But but yeah, those those in flight samples are pretty tough and and very precious for sure. You brought up where I was going next, which is your one-year mission project. This is your follow-up study to what you did for the twin study. So can you tell us what that is doing? Yes. So NASA is planning on um, probably five more one-year missions. At least right now they're in the plan in the books, um, and as well as a number of shorter duration missions. So two to three months, as well as five to six month missions. And they will have, you know, a number of astronauts on each of those. So uh, they again put out a call for um, investigations and, and you know, to follow up on, on what we have already, uh, we were selected for this as well. So we'll have about 30 more astronauts um, doing very similar types of, of assays. We'll be looking at telomere length again, telomerase activity, hopefully. Um, as well as uh, DNA damage, so looking at uh, chromosome aberrations and recombination and all the things that we can look at cytogenetically um, in the chromosomes as well. Uh, and like I say, be doing that on a much larger and, and more diverse population of astronauts. You know, we're getting a lot more women in the, in the cohort, so that's really important too. We want to be able to um, confirm or identify any kinds of um, differences, sex-dependent differences, or, you know, just the, the range of individual variation there may be in the responses to long-duration spaceflight, and, and what, what's behind those, you know, what, what's causing that. So as we learn that, we'll be able to help more uh, with countermeasures or with, um, you know, really with this idea of being able to send people to Mars for long periods of time and still be able to maintain their health. I would imagine it's got to be incredibly gratifying for you to get to be a part of these studies because these are, they sound like foundational studies for a future when more humans are going to be spending more time in space. Yeah, it's really true. I mean, it's been, talk about a a dream come true. (laughs) That's right. That's exactly right. And just to have a small part in it is, it has just been amazing. It's, it's a lot of fun. I mean, we've had a lot of fun. Um, Everything from designing the patch for the studies, you know, just stuff like that. That's just so much fun. We don't get to interact with the, astronauts themselves very much, but um, even being on phone calls or now Zoom, um, you know, pitching your studies to them or, um, you know, I was able to listen to Scott Kelly, for example, when he spoke at um, in Boulder not too long ago, several years ago now, but, uh, you know, and meet him afterwards. And of course, Chell Lindgren, who's our CSU astronaut, has been here a number of times visited the lab and really, you know, been able to interact with the students that were working on this project. It's just, it's, it's really rewarding. And it's, it's just been a privilege, honestly, it's been a real privilege. And I'm looking forward to being able to, to do some more of it and, and, you know, get some, some more definitive conclusions. But I think, you know, the, and kind of back to your question about what does it have to do with us on Earth, 
um, you know, it, again, it's aging and, and um, health span. These are things that we all think about and we're all concerned about. And so I think that's part of it, too. Not only is it exciting to think about space exploration, but it's also important and, and relevant to all of us to be thinking about how we can better, better age, how we can age better and, and live healthier, longer lives. Absolutely. Yes. I'm wondering if you can tell us about any of the other investigations that were part of the twin study, even if it's just briefly. Yes. So, yeah. So that's an important, important part. Um, And there, like, as we said, there were 10 other studies. Um, I think the the bottom line when you walk away from it all is really that a human body is amazingly adaptable to to a lot of things, to extreme environments, including at least um, life on board the, the space station. They, there were a lot of changes that were observed um, during space flight, but a lot of them came back to, to, to fairly baseline, to normal, whatever normal was, um, you know, afterwards. So that, that's really an encouraging kind of result. Um, there were also studies, for example, on the immune system uh, testing to see whether the flu vaccine worked the same way in space as it did um, on on Earth, and it did. So they both both Mark and Scott gave themselves a flu vaccine, and um, you know the reaction was pretty much the same. So that that was also good news. Um, a lot of the studies were um, omics based. It was the very first time that NASA had really gone into any kind of um, genetic kinds of um, testing for the astronauts. So that was important. I mean, they sequenced RNA and DNA and um, they looked at gene expression, you know, back to the the fake news story. Um, They looked at the microbiome. They looked at um, metabolomics and proteomics and lipidomics and, uh, you know, just all of the omics. Um, And like I say, most of it all went back to, to normal afterwards. I mentioned the gene expression was still a little off. Um, but again, you know, we don't know anything past nine months uh, when the twin study ended. Um, cognition was another interesting uh, story there that he, there was a decline in um, Scott's uh, cognition. It, it, what they do is like a computer-based battery of tests. And so he, he performed poorly when they, when they got back. And I think that lasted for a while as well. Um, they said probably again out till at least nine months. And it's interesting that if, if you read Scott's autobiography, uh, Endurance, it's a really good read. Um, he talks about how he didn't feel like himself um, for eight to nine months. <laughs> you know, it really took a while to get, I think that transition back to gravity is probably much more difficult than than the one going the other direction. Um, so he he really did struggle with that. Um, things that you don't think about too much, like his skin. You know, after being in microgravity, sometimes even some of it falls off because you know you're not using you're not rubbing your feet against the ground, for example. Um, you know, and then when you come back, the weight of your clothing on your skin um, is is painful, and so, you know, it, just crazy things like that. Um, they have some; they experience some skin rashes and things like that in space too that they don't, you know, have normally here on Earth. 
Um, but those are a few that, that pop into mind. Um, microbiome, I mentioned, I think I mentioned that one, but microbiome did change um, in space. I think as you might expect, because their diet is different. Um, but when they come back to earth and kind of reestablish their normal diet, their, their microbiome also reestablishes. Um, so not, you know, overall, just really um, good news on most, on most fronts, but certainly gave us some things to be aware of as well. Uh, if people, again, are interested, um, the original twin study was published in Science in two, 2019. And then the, at the end of last year, November 2020, a whole series of papers came out across Cell Press that really um, are all the follow-ups to the twin study. So lots more about the twin study, lots more about other studies, too, that complement um, those, those studies. So really, um, there's one overview paper that really does give you the fundamentals of where we are right now as far as the biological effects and what the major hazards are that we foresee going forward. My takeaway from everything that you're saying is that the human body is just at the moment not equipped for space travel. (laughs) (laughs) And it sounds like it's going to take quite a long time to get us to a point where we could sustain a long duration of space travel. And so that leads me to a question, which is, you know, you're kind of on, on an inside perspective because you've been a part of this study. Do you have a prediction for how long it might take for us to oh, actually be capable know. of going to Mars? I know. No? Isn't that a, that's a great <laughs> question. And it kind of gets back to Scott Mason's book. I mean, Chris Mason, I'm sorry, but Chris Mason's book um, with the 500 year perspective, because, you know, and his thing is, is that we're going to have to genetically engineer people to (laughs) to be able yeah so i mean i'm telling you it's 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 not your everyday view of things um but i mean you think about it it's got to be either some really dramatic improvements in the technology and the engineering that's going to allow for much faster space travel or artificial gravity or something has got to happen on that side. But on the other side, you've got to have people that can take it, (laughs) you know, that they can survive these things, that they could have babies, that they can, you know, generations of them can, can be living in space. And that's a very different place than where we are right now. So, um, but yeah, I mean, that it's a way out there idea you know, to be genetically engineering people for these traits that will help them survive in space. And it's a million miles away from where we are, even at at NASA, because they, we can't even use, um, you know, some of the genetic information that we find out to select astronauts because it's, it's discriminating, you know, against them. And they don't want you know, they don't want to run up against any of that. They don't want to run up against radiation limits. They want to fly. So you've got two really different or maybe more perspectives there um, and some real challenges to address um, over the next 500 years. (laughs) (laughs) That's incredible. Well, I could just sit here talking to you forever about this, but we're going to have to wrap this up. Um, So I think I'll just ask you, you know, the question I ask everyone that comes on the show and you kind of already touched on it a little bit, I'm sure. But what is your best advice for healthy aging, having been a part of this NASA twin study? 
well, it might be not going to space. <laughs> I, don't know if that, I don't know how good that's going to be for your aging potential. But, <laughs> you know, and, and I guess even just kind of to digress, I mean, there are so many things associated with space flight besides even just thinking about that. I mean, just surviving the the launch and the mission um, is, you know, the first hurdle that you have to get through. But, you know, beyond that, again, if I can expand my vision a little bit more and, and look even a several hundred years maybe <laughs> ahead, I think kind of like we um, touched on, but just realizing that there are the daily choices we make really do make a difference in the long haul. And I think, you know, if we can um, kind of put that in a, a new perspective. Um, I know there are companies out there that will, you know, like measure your telomere length, for example, and or you know, and, and give you an idea of where you're at um, with aging. But I, it, I am um, hopeful that that one day will be part of like our physical exams. You know, just every year when you give blood, you're, you're going to get your telomere length measured because then you can start to kind of look at it over time and, and make some decisions. You know, am I, am I, is there something more I could be doing um, to improve my health span uh, and, and really look at it like that rather than so much of a, you know, a biological age. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. But I think, you know, and, and again, back to the passion thing, you know, finding the things in life that, that you really enjoy and, and that hopefully soon all of us will be able to be able to get back to doing. <laughs> um, uh, so I, you know, those things certainly. Um, and, and I don't think there's any magic pill. I don't think there, you know, like there are people who will take, are taking telomerase activators, for example, they want to. Um, to as a means of like a fountain of youth kind of thing, keep cells growing. But, you know, the downside always is, is that that increases your risks of cancer too. So it's a, it's a balance, at least at this point, that's, that's, we know that. <laughs> um, I, I couldn't recommend that or telomerase based creams, for example, for your face and all that <laughs> kind of stuff, you know, just think about those things. Think about them. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, nothing, uh, nothing real earth shattering, I don't think, but at least I, it, it does kind of point to, um, just, I think it, it supports a lot of the things we just know already that are healthy lifestyles and, and the things that contribute to that. Um, really do make a difference whether you're on earth or in space and um, going forward I think you know th those are the things we have to remember in, in maintaining astronaut health right I was gonna say it sounds like from your studies that at some point you could extrapolate something about telomeres and telomerase activity and potentially apply it in a drug form, you know, as a fountain of youth or a way to live healthier for longer. Right. Um, but it sounds like there's already telomerase activators out there. There are, there <laughs> are. And then they're not, you know, they're not working all that great. <laughs> I, mean, uh, I would not think they would. No, no. So I, I, we're a long way off, I think from, from really coming up with something like that. But, you know, it, one of the countermeasures that we've considered in the past, and I think it starts to make more sense, is even um, antioxidants, for example, because what we're seeing is oxidative damage to telomeres and to chromosomes. 
So, you know, that's a fairly straightforward thing to do, you know, to take vitamin C or, you know, antioxidants can be very helpful, especially, um, you know, if you're in an environment like space where they're, they're having, there are more, um, you know, radiation exposures. Okay. Well, Susan, thank you. Thank you so much for this conversation. I really, really enjoyed it. Oh, I did too. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much for your interest in it and doing this. That's great. Thank you for listening to this episode of Living Healthy Longer, a podcast from the Center for Healthy Aging at CSU. Remember to follow us on social media at CSU Healthy Aging and visit our website at healthyaging.colostate.edu. We will see you next time.